Does the story work? That's the question, isn't it? Welcome to the StoryGrid Showrunner podcast, dedicated to answering this question by using the StoryGrid method developed by Sean Coyne. Every season, Randall, Mellon and I will analyze a hit TV series to find out what works and what doesn't work and why. In 2020, we're focusing on action and thriller stories. Each month, we'll be releasing two podcast episodes. First, we'll discuss the expectations of the show from seeing the trailer and reading the series descriptions. Now, in our last show, we looked at the trailer of the Netflix show, The Witcher, which we thought was an action series. But was it? I don't know. In this episode, we'll be going through the editor's six core questions to find out if the story worked. Now, let's get on with the show. A reminder, please watch The Witcher TV series before you listen to the following episode. We not only, we not only give away spoilers, but we talk about the global story. And, and to be honest, it's just a lot more valuable for you if you know what we're talking about, because we reference it quite a lot. Okay, let's kick off. To start, we're going to look at, uh, we're gonna, each of us are going to give our initial observations of season one of The Witcher. Randall, do you want to kick us off? Yeah. So <laughs> my initial observations is basically, it's interesting. Uh, it probably had a lot of uh, potential, but it's no Game of Thrones. And in one word, if I had to put it down in one word, I'd put confusing. Mel? Um, I think Henry Cavill, uh, that was a wonderful portrayal of The Witcher. I really like that. But if I had to say it in one word, I'd still say disappointing. The series was disappointing. Yeah. And, I, and I'd say that if I had to say it in one sentence, I think this is a great example of how a wonderful idea gets lost if you don't have the right structure and world building. So all in all, <laughs> sounds like um, thumbs middling or down, possibly. So let's take a look at why that might be. Um, and let's start with the beginning hook, the middle build, and the end payoff. Randall? So beginning hook, we, be, we have – so first of all, let's just start with it's really hard to figure out what the beginning hook, middle build, and end payoff is by watching the episodes in the order they're given because there is a lot of time shifting. It's not even time shifting. There's three timelines going on simultaneously, and it's not clear to the viewer – that that's happening. And as a result, it gets very confusing, as I mentioned. And um, uh, everything comes to a head at the end, but it's hard to break down the, the, the three um, acts. But I gave it a shot. So I just did it in the order that the series was came out in the episode order. So in the beginning hook, we have Geralt of Rivia, a witcher. He's a monster hunter. He kills monsters for money. And after basically in the third episode, I believe, he saves a, a hedgehog knight named Dunny from being killed at a, a betrothal party. And he, he, uh, because he saves Dunny, Dunny gives him what's called the law of surprise, which means whatever spectacular thing happens to the person that got saved uh, the save the person who saved him gets a piece of that or gets gets get receives that in benefit and in this case yeah go ahead it, it's a, it's it's um, what they have but do not know they have correct yeah it was very well said in the show and that, and you, that and obviously they said it really well because that explains a little bit better than I did um, but uh, <laughs> but basically uh, they what happens is the dunny's uh, wife to be is already pregnant before they get married and uh, I know I noticed that I was like, 
and and uh, and that's and, and they find that out as soon as he offers the uh, the law of surprise. So basically, Geralt of Rivia has some stake in the future of their child, which ends up being Siri, who's one of the main characters and also one of the main characters of a, of a different timeline. So that's the gist of the beginning hook. Inside the incident, we have a monster hunter. He goes on monster hunting adventures. He pretty much kills or encounters some kind of monster every episode, more or less. The turning point is you have uh, the the hedgehog knight is attacked at the wedding, and the crisis is, does Geralt intervene or not? He does, and because he does, he's rewarded with a lot of surprise. He comes connected to Pavetta's unborn daughter, Princess Ciri, and... Uh, and then, and that's pretty much your beginning hook. Just another note: this is also where the queen, the mo- the grandmother of Siri, who's the as we mentioned, is the one of the main characters. She publicly insults the Nil- Nilfgaardians, which comes into play, you know, later on in the series, uh, and, and at a pivotal point at the end when the big war starts. You guys got any comments? Yeah, go ahead, Pearl. I, I have a question because I because I've just spent uh, last week with. Sean and Tim at the Storybook Conference. And I was thinking a lot about this concept of the fear, you know, the P-H-E-I-E, and the the fear being the inciting incident, the ball of chaos that enters a protagonist's life, which sets them on a new course. And it doesn't always have to be massive in the beginning hook, but it's interesting if you think of the inciting incident being, you know, the the monster, him fighting monsters, it's not particularly unusual for him to come across a monster that is his line of work and if I th- I don't know if I've got this right right it's very confusing but when I think about it the, the ball of chaos that enters his life is the law of surprise is the fact that he is this sort of slightly western character who likes to roam from state to state and have no uh, no ties finds himself with a tie that he did not expect I, I don't disagree with that. Um, it, I think for us viewers who we don't know what he's doing, I think the fact that he's a monster hunter is kind of an inciting incident. But I, I can yeah, see, I can see what you're saying. I, I, the other point, of, though, it might be the inciting incident might be when he encounters that first woman who ends up dying, mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. says that Renfrey. Yeah, and she says that the. The, the woman the, the girl in the in the uh, in the woods is his destiny right yes. that might that might I can I, I can I can I can buy that that might be the inciting incident yeah I, I think I think I think that isn't that's what I had down as the inciting incident was it because I think you're right that if you look at the story objectively uh, and from a distance after you've looked at the entire season you can quite you can say yes uh, the inciting incident is somewhere around his fending off a monster and, and finding himself um, at the court eventually, because it's, it's all of that that leads him to court. But actually, from a viewer's perspective, the first time that we see that something has disrupted this, like I say, I think of him as a Western character, like Reacher, like Jack Reacher. Mm-hmm. He's, he'll fight, he's a principled man who'll fight whenever he sees, either it's for, for coin or because someone's in distress, he can't help himself. And the only thing that actually disrupts that is the idea of being tied down to somebody. Yeah. And, and that happens uh, when, when Renfrey says, what's well, a hint of it. Renfrey says the girl in the woods is your destiny. Sorry. Right. But, but we can also make only guesses about what is the inciting incident because of all the time shifting. We don't know if the, 
if him meeting Renfrey was before or after this wedding feast when he claimed uh, when he did the love surprise. So either oh, we don't know until the end of the series you're talking about. No, we don't know if Renfrey, if um, Pavetta was already with child when the Witcher met Renfrey, or if Renfrey knew all of that, what would happen before that. So, so I think I think that the timelines are the individual timelines are pretty linear, and that by that I mean Witcher in the beginning, everything after that is progression forward from the Witcher. There's no re, there's no flashback from the Witcher's life. But we don't know that because they never um, have that in a chronological order or give us any um, sense of time. But they never. But they actually none of not one of the characters has a flashback except at the very last one when the Witcher's having the dreams. But none of the characters have flashbacks to what happened before them. They're all progressing forward. They're just progressing the three timelines. And this is why one of the reasons we discussed that it doesn't really work is the three timelines are, are one is the, the Witcher's timeline is like 40 years. The witch, Jennifer, is like 70 years. And series is like three days or four days or something like that. And so – they're, but they're seen in every episode, and it's not clear that they're different timelines until later. So that's kind of the reason, one of the reasons it doesn't work. But I right, think, exactly. Yeah, and I think just as a viewer, I would, I'm not trusting them anymore. That this exactly. is a timeline that yeah. I have to follow. I think it you, can also be switched up. So mm-hmm. that's right. why I'm, I can't even say what is the inciting incident. It could be like meeting Renfrey, and she tells him the prophecy, or if it's even a prophecy, um, or him like reluctantly saying, okay, I take the love surprise as a reward. And then bear in mind, he doesn't do it reluctantly. He actually asks, he's the one who asks for the law of surprise. The guy says, name your price. And then he says, oh, well, fine. What about the law? Yeah. He's pushed into making a decision. And then he's just like, he doesn't care. And he's just, okay, then it's true. He should have said a bottle of beer. Yeah. He should have said a bottle of beer and everything would have been fine. That's what he did Uh, at the end because he learned his lesson. Yeah, But then we would not have a story. It's like, that's probably the incident then. Do, yeah. do we still have? Do we still have a story though? That's the question. Right. Um, well, I think the middle build is like a mess. I mean, pr- right. the but the, and this, but this goes back to the beginning hook. The reason it's so important for any story is that if you haven't cemented what it is, who, it, for example, the main protagonist is, and what they might possibly want, and what they're after, what the disruption has been to their life, it makes the middle build even harder. And 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 then, and that also if in a book especially and also a TV series if you don't have the beginning hook uh, that that uh, very clear then no one's going to stick around right no one's going to stick around and watch the rest of the series because and and I and I I tried to watch the series before I suggested it to you guys and I couldn't <laughs> could get past I didn't really get past it and then I made the mistake of going hey the Witcher is getting a lot of publicity I already know it sucks but I didn't tell you that and <laughs> did you <laughs> I was expecting it to be brilliant because you'd suggested it Me and too. I know Henry Cavill and he seemed so uh, effective yeah, you got two bathtubs and then well and then there was I, got, Pearl, I did Pearl, get two Pearl had her who was starring in it too so it all worked out <laughs> All right. So yeah, I, I was I was the before I was the hunter. Uh, let's continue with the middle build now. Moving into the middle build. Okay, basically, real real quick. Jennifer rises to power as a witch. Geralt has more adventures fighting bad guys, uh, and meets Jennifer eventually. Uh, and these basically uh, they they meet a couple times. And this is the last time they meet, they're on a quest to kill a dragon, but though for different reasons. And then Jennifer 
is trying to get a regain her ability to have children with the dragon and Geralt has basically fallen in love with Jennifer. So that's like the middle build right there. And then we have some series stuff where she's running and trying to, and through the woods cause she's running through the woods through pretty much the whole series. And, uh, and, and so there's not a lot of, it's hard to find once again, those inciting incidents and the five commandments, but I'll give it a shot. I guess Geralt risks his life to save Jennifer from the genie and kind of falls in love with her. And he has, and he gives his last wish to kind of be connected to her, which we're not sure exactly what the last wish is. The turning point is uh, he sees her again on this quest to kill the dragon. And he wasn't going to join the dragon until he saw her. And so now the question is, does he join the quest or not? He does. And then both Jennifer and Geralt end up defending the dragon's eggs and uh, and basically Jennifer suspects that the only reason they're together that they met is because of the genie and the wish that Geralt made. So she, she kind of makes it her mission not to be together with them to kind of defeat that magic. Um, she also makes Geralt realize that his destiny is to save and protect Siri at that moment, which is, you know, a big part of the story. Uh, the storyline such as it is, is him trying to find Siri and he doesn't actually take up that quest until episode seven. What do yeah. you guys think about that? It's a mess. Yeah. Hot mess. I, I think that, uh, so we've spoken about how in the beginning hook, we don't have enough of an understanding of what the characters want, apart from that we know that Gerald's destiny is a girl in the woods. And in the middle build, we understand a little bit more about the object of desire because he's linked to Siri. And we start to understand Yennefer a bit better. So I'm, I'm ignoring all the things like the dragons because actually, although that's interesting, I, know it's, I, mean, I think you're right to put it in there. But when I look at the middle builds in terms of it building as progressively as a story, all I see is that I, Yennefer's, and we'll come to this later when we talk about objects of desire, we see that Yennefer's object of desire has cemented. We now see more strongly what it is she's hunting for, searching for, that built from the beginning hook, which is that she wanted to be powerful. And in this one, she now wants to have a child she wants to find meaning yeah he has the biggest wand yeah and this 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 is going to connect later on to what mel's going to talk about which is you know who is the main character of the witcher the witch yep. or the witcher uh, right yeah so, no, it's a good question so the ending payoff let's go over that real quick before we get into the meaty stuff that everyone wants to hear uh so jennifer assists in the defense of sodden hill against the Nil- the nilf guardians and eventually realizes her gift of incredible, incredible power and, and, and basically wins the war, I think, uh, but ends up disappearing. And meanwhile, the hero of the story, the, tit, the, the title character, the titular, <laughs> titular, titular character, Geralt, uh, realizes his destiny to find Siri, but he ends up imprisoned, and then he gets kind of poisoned during a fight, and then the last episode, he doesn't, even he has like a, about five minutes of screen time where he's delusional. And, uh, and then he magically finds Siri at the end. And it kind of, uh, it's, it's kind of a disappointing ending as the Witcher, the, the title, of char- the title character, his whole part in this is kind of disappointing. However, uh, Jennifer takes is the star of the final episode and I, it's kind of exciting. Everything she goes through to, to tell you the truth. Uh, the Five Commandments real quick. Sintra falls. Siri runs. Geralt's captured and restrained. Turning point. The Nifgardians attack Sodden Hill, which is the key to the north. Uh, winter is coming. Does the Council of Mages intervene? You know, we don't even see the Council of Mages until about this time. They saw them in the beginning. That was it. They decide to intervene and try to save Sodden Hill, and Jennifer kind of leads that. 
She saves the day in an epic battle. It includes a lot of innovative magic, and Siri and Geralt finally link up for some unknown reason, and the whole thing is to be continued, which it will oh. be because it was renewed. And isn't it interesting, yeah. the question that Siri asks in the end is, who is Jennifer? She's right. not asking, who are you? She's asking, <laughs> Yeah, because she's never seen him, right? No. <laughs> That's the other thing. The, 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 you know, she's now 14 years old. He's never seen her. Yeah. And she's never seen he, him. He did, he did see her. He did see her. Yeah, well, but, but, she had, yeah but she doesn't but she know had him. a cloak on him and stuff. All right, anybody else got anything to add for those uh, three acts or we want to move on? One, just one thing really quickly about when, when I ever get lost in, in the three act of a story, I like to cement it on maybe the crisis point because that's always a question, right? So, and the question you'll normally find across the three acts progresses on itself. So it becomes more and more evolved. The, the crisis point should become more difficult and it should hopefully follow the, the trajectory that the character's going on and you'll notice here that it's a little bit trickier so your first crisis point is does Geralt remember this lone western character does he intervene in somebody else's uh, fight and yes he does so that's his first time he actually tries to do something for other than himself remember he wants to disappear into nothingness uh, he doesn't like to be known he just wants coin um, and that obviously leads him to the uh, law of surprise in the middle build the question is again does Gerald join the quest or not so I wouldn't say it's progressive he just does he does he now follow Yennefer on a quest to kill a dragon it's the same level of tension and action and excitement I'd say and yes he does in the third the one, he's not even on the. He's not even in the crisis. Exactly, exactly. He disappeared. Exactly, and that and that well, that I think summarizes why it's a bit. It doesn't fit together. It doesn't feel like it pulls together as one story. Yeah, yeah. Mal, I know you have some great observations. Yeah, I think that's why we even wonder if he's the main protagonist. That's why there's doubt in our heads, and we know like the Witcher from the video games. He is the hero. Like he's the main protagonist. We know like I've read the comic now from Dark Horse. And he's the main protagonist. That's just, it's just him there. Okay, he's on his quest to hunt monsters. So I expect that in this series to be here, that he should be the main protagonist as well. But my disappointment with this series really started in the second episode because it was hardly about the Witcher at all. His storyline was only like there for further exposition about the problem of the great cleansing that killed so many elves. So it was right. the next story. He, he spent the whole episode captured, right, by the elves. Yeah, he yeah. was captured by the elves and he was ready to die. But but really, he's like a witcher and he's like yeah. um, tied up. I didn't expect that those three elves and a goatman would kill him. <laughs> <laughs> so really, the stakes were not high. It was not life and death for me. I just thought, no. like, like, do yeah. some magic and he can, like, escape. Yeah. So that was a boring episode. It was very boring. Like, even in the second episode, no wonder that many people stopped watching it. And I really like started to think, okay, in the second episode, oh, this is going to be multiple protagonists again. How are they going to pull that off? Not so, very well. Yeah, even, yeah, yeah. And well, in the ending payoff, we talked about it already. Like, he's not even in there. So yeah. he's just ruined and disillusional and out of the picture. So I did not <laughs> like that. But um, let's go on with our discussion and talking about genre. Is it, is it action? an action story? No. I would not say it was action. I know that it's part of the action and we expected action, but I really, I had my troubles finding out what's the primary genre. Um, maybe that's all. Just, just, rem just remind, re remind us again of how we determine primary, primary genre. The primary genre is like, what are your expectations? When you watch, start watching the se a series, a movie, or you read a book, 
uh, you read the book cover blurbs, then you get expectations about what this book will be about. Like with the trailer that it's going to be an action story, monster hunting. We have the hero. We have all of that in there. And um, we have genre. We have obligatory scenes that all serve like to um, fulfill our expectations. Right, because so it's a value, and it's the value of stake that we we are. And expecting. the value of state of that's at stake. Yeah, like life and death in an action story. And would, you didn't. We think would have gotten the if there would have been more monster slaying, <laughs> but they didn't show us those monster fi fighting scenes. Like Gerald was out of the picture there too, slaying monsters while we were waiting for them for him to return. <laughs> right, so I think and they weren't and they weren't progressive, right? No. So I think one of the key things that make a genre and that Sean mentions this in his book and, and in our training as well is the 15 core scenes should turn uh, the value of the, of the genre, right? Yeah, so, if well. the, so if action is life and death and war is honor, dishonor, or what's the other one? And right. also a victory with honor, victory with, yeah. with dishonor. Right. So, yeah. so the question is, Uh, I don't. I think we all agree that all 15, well, first of all, it's almost impossible to identify the 15 core scenes. But if we do try our best to identify 15 core scenes, not all 15 core scenes are going to turn on either one of those or, or, or any of the genre uh, values, to tell you the truth. So, yeah. uh, which is one, one another reason why this thing doesn't work very well. Um, but Mel's got a, a good a good idea about how if uh, the war war is what the primary genre is and go ahead, Mel. Um, all right. Um, so in the trailer, we were promised an extra story stories. And I know we've already talked about, it could be um, action man versus monster, but still a monster is defined in an extra story to be um, an animal like shark and jaws or dinosaurs and Jurassic park. But we literally have monsters in this TV series, but this story is no horror story either in horror stories we have a single non-heroic protagonist who wants to save his life this is true for siri but she is not the one who is dealing with the monsters she's not even meeting monsters it's only gerald i can't even say his name it's so hard gerald gerald of rivia but he's much much more capable of to fight monsters but he's a hero so he's not non-heroic so we don't have a horror story in here when we look back at the first episode that we were introduced to the Witcher. We have Geralt killing a Kikimor. It's a funny, funny name in a murky swim. Like it was like a spider thing, right? Yeah, overgrown yeah. spider. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's action. Perfect. I was really happy when I saw that because that was right. exactly what the trailer promised me. And I thought, okay, the first scene of this series, I hope it's going to be action. And it was, and I was, the smile was on my face, really. But then the first, even the first episode, it shifted from crime genre, like assassin for hire, to love and betrayal that we have with Renfrey and The Witcher, and even to war when we have Sintra fighting Nilfgaard. So I was already very confused about the genre because there's so much going on in the first episode already. And they didn't take time can I, can I? to establish the genre first. Yeah, Peru, go on. I think, no, sorry, sorry to interrupt. I wanted yeah. to just make a point because I think you're absolutely right that it's difficult if you're watching something or reading something and it switches genre. But I wanted to make the point that you can have multiple genres even in an episode, but there's still one primary genre that will carry through that story. So if, for example, Geralt was, uh, you know, tasked on hunting a, a monster and in the meantime found love, then that's okay. But if yeah. his entire trajectory drops 
and he's no longer searching for an, a beast to slay, and instead it veers off onto something totally different, then it loses its uh, genre. We we start losing the excitement that we expect. Yeah, we were expecting more monsters. So, yeah. but there were none. There was just in the beginning, and then they just took them away. <laughs> um, well. <laughs> Actually, the first episode with, with the Witcher part of this first episode was just introducing the Witcher and kind of people talking about him and stuff, but really nothing happened. I mean, he killed the monster. He talked to a wizard in an orgy area. He met Renfri <laughs> again. There's quite a few orgies in this. Had had, had some uh, sex with, with Renfri, then killed all of Renfri's men and Renfri, and then left when everyone insulted him. And that was it. It, was, it could have been done in about 10 minutes. And now if we look at the first episode and the last episode, both of the time we have battle scenes in there, like huge war battle scenes. So we could also make a case for a genre. And I think at its core, a war story, like what we've learned in the story grid, must have soldiers on a battlefield with the possibility of death. Okay, check, we have that. But not every story must be set in a time of war. Like we have, it has to build and lead to a big battle. Like check, we have that as well. <laughs> and Sean Coyne says like, That's what he says about the war story. And I think we can check that off as well, that it fits to this series. He says the war story is an arch plot or a mini plot, like when you have multiple characters. It's an external drama that culminates in the big battle event in which the combatants fight righteously and prevail or crumble and die in disgrace. War stories, like society stories, use tightly confined plot trajectories to represent global power struggles. Even the epic war stories focus on deeply personal and specific human conflict. And we have all of that we have in this series. So I, I, I agree we have that, but we only have it. Mm. We don't have it through the five. If you, if you, we don't have it through the 15 yeah. core scenes. We don't Because even have we, it through half the 15 core scenes. But we don't even know the 15 core scenes. That's, <laughs> but, yeah. but Because the we have three timelines. And, right. But the yeah. war is only evident in like, three of this eight series, I think it's really hard to buy that it's a war genre. I, mean, I think we all agree that it's not any specific genre. It's, it's not even got a primary genre in certain parts, certain three or four of them. It's maybe a little bit of, it may be action in two or three it's war. There's a love story going on, but it's that it's not super prominent. So I think there's a lot of stuff going on here. And I think this is just a really good example of an author that couldn't decide what his primary genre is. And, and as an editor, and maybe you guys too, Perul and Mel have seen where authors come to us to look at their manuscripts and we're like, Hey, what's the primary genre here? And, you, and they're, and they're like, well, it doesn't have a primary. It's this, 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 and this. And they've, they've, they've put so much effort to make it five genres that are all kind of trying to leap in front of each other and take over depending on what chapter or act it is that it becomes a little bit jumbled. And we've, I, yeah. I don't know about you guys, yeah. but I've always told those authors, you really need to decide on a primary genre and then you can have these secondary genres, but this primary genre needs to have its 15 core scenes. They all need to turn on the core value and this is what's going to make it a great story. Um, but if you don't have that and you have the core scenes falling into different value, uh, turning on different values, then that's when you confuse your reader and disappoint them. Yeah. And I think um, also we have to say like this series, it's like we are not having a, a whole story here. We have in the trailer, it was promised the call to adventure was for Geralt that the girl in the wood is his dis destiny. And he refused the call to adventure. And this first um, season 
ended with them meeting. So the story is just beginning. We yes. even maybe have just um, part of the beginning hook that this eight episodes are actually about. So that's yeah. maybe that's even the trouble that we have. We can't determine the genre because we haven't seen all the other episodes that might be about to come. Then yeah. we could have the five, 15 core scenes. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I think both of you have made really good points and I agree with you. The two, the, the, so I agree with you, Randall. I definitely have seen authors where they're not entirely sure what their genre is. And the one way I like to look at it is to look at the core event and ask, ask them, well, what's your core event? And uh, that should correlate with the obligatory scenes that should definitely connect to the inciting incident of the entire global story. Killing Eve season one was a great example of real connection between the inciting incident um, and the core event, and in fact, all the you know all the obligatory scenes. And so, and, the download yeah. we have there is a really good example of how you can have a primary genre such as thriller, and couple that with a secondary genre, which arguably could be love, which came out in the core event. I know, I know, Randall, you didn't totally agree, but the core event is often where, to me, it's the melting pot of all the genres. So, in the core event, you would see, say, in Killing Eve, you saw how it was hero at the mercy of the villain, but it was also lovers potentially get in become intimate instead they stabbed one of them stabbed the other but it was the potential of a kiss it was a romantic stab and um <laughs> right but in this core event we have um a, a battle scene we have um the big battle and we do not have two of the main protagonists that we would expect to see there even if they were on the sidelines and that's why it's for me that's why it's confusing if i if the core event doesn't correlate to the rest of the story it means that everything leading up to that was not building to that core event how can we care about a big battle where i don't even know if i care who wins i don't even know yeah. if nilfgaard is wrong i don't know if i really want sintra to be saved because yeah. my protagonists don't know that and so how can i feel one way or the other and in the big battle three of those protagonists the three core protagonists are they really getting what they want i'm not sure that they are They, ha they don't prove themselves. Yennefer, to some degree, gets to exercise her power, but that's not what she wanted. That's not what she was after. Yeah, and we, actually, we could be on, Nilf, on the Nilfgaardian side because we don't know what they actually want. We sure. only got introduced to them in this, at this wedding feast where Queen Calantha was um, insulting them. So that's like we, more, we emphasize with them because we yeah. know how it feels to be insulted. And those people do not have to be right just because they insult you. Yeah. So, and if you listen yeah. to Nish, uh, Tisha's, is it Tisha? Tisaya. Tisaya. If you listen to why she wants to go to battle for Sintra, she says, really, it's to protect her academy. That's the only reason. It's not right. actually for any real reason because Sintra have proven that they don't want the mages' support. So, Again, why, why is anyone involved? Yennefer's only involved because she's trying to find meaning and her mentor said, please help me. Yes. She said please for the first time to Yennefer and that's why she got into battle. Not it actually, because she It cares. actually didn't go to war for Sintra. As in she protected, didn't she? Didn't no, she Sintra, Sint they decided not to protect Sintra because they didn't want the magical uh, support before. So they said, we're not going to do it. Sintra fell and then they went and pr protected Sodom Hill which was the key to the north, which was the, the, the guard of the bridge across the, the, the ditch. The side ah, yes. Chasm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and that didn't make sense for me as well. I thought yeah, they could I put all the people, all the families, send them over the bridge and destroy the bridge. Everything would be... 
Yeah, why that would are, have why been aren't you easier. a general, Mel? You should be I, a I'm general. Mar- I'm married to one. <laughs> hey, are you married, you're you married to a general? I don't know. No, not general. Some other rank. Like, uh, I don't know. A don't, lieutenant? Captain? Oberstleutnant. I have no idea. I think it's a uh, lieutenant colonel. That could be it, yeah. All but right. I came up with the battle strategy before he did it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just earlier <laughs> saying it. <laughs> okay. So, yes. Let's Sorry. talk about obligatory scenes. All right, so we each got uh, we each got a different uh, genre we're going to talk about, and we're going to go through and show how it met some of them and didn't meet some of the other ones. So I'm going to go through action. Um, so hero sidesteps responsibilities to take action. Basically, you know, in the fourth episode, when we see the background of how uh, Geralt. Um, Gets is putting is gonna dest, is destined destinedly is is by destiny linked to Siri. He refuses the call to claim Siri. He's like, I'm not going to be involved in with destiny. Screw that. So then, forced to leave the ordinary world, the hero lashes out. Um, I guess we can see him, you know, going on with his duties to to kill monsters and not returning to to Sintra for any reason, even to protect the city. Discovering and understanding the antagonist MacGuffin. Well, I guess the antagonist, which we don't really even know who they are, is the Nifgardians in the end, or it's their king, um, or it's the mage. We don't really know, and we'll get into that later too. And the Nifgardians want to take over the continent and capture Siri, which we don't really know why they want to capture Siri either, I don't think. Does anyone really understand that? They just want to capture Siri she might have power they know of or something. I have no idea. Some, some exact, something to do with the white flame. And then we know this is validated when she, when she's attacked in that field, right. she, she says something that but, is related to the white flame. But no flame. one ever explains, you know, why they know no. that and why they want her and stuff like that. The hero's initial strategy to maneuver the, maneuver the villain fails. Once again, we just tie this into the Witcher ignoring Siri and not wanting to, uh, not wanting to capture her and just ignoring the whole war situation. Paul's last moment is uh, when he, he almost dies from the, in the, in the last episode when the witcher almost dies, he realizes in a delusional dream about his mother, that Siri is his destiny. And then the hero at the mercy of the villain scene is kind of, I mean, since we haven't figured out who the hero is, the witcher's at the mercy of the poison of the monster, I guess. Um, but he never gets involved in the war with the Nif- the, the Nif Guardians, so he's never at their mercy, really. So it's kind of a missing piece, a significant missing piece. Um, and then, because uh, he misses the last battle altogether. And then the hero sacrifices is, ro- is rewarded. I mean, his sacrifice is that he, you know, tried to save that farmer and now he finds Siri. I mean, the, the whole, these last obligatory scenes, which are really important, the all is lost moment, the hero at the mercy of the villain and the hero's sacrifice is rewarded. If you're looking at the Witcher from an action, an action genre, they're kind of vague and missing, in my opinion. Let's say missing. Makes it, makes it yep. kind of a bad action movie now. Mel's got yeah. war and she's going to really pump it up and say it's a war movie, but <laughs> go ahead. Yeah. But oh, not the one that we wanted to see or one that was done very good. Cause they didn't like say, okay, this is going to be a war story and we are going to deliver it. We have an inciting attack that challenges the morals of the protagonist. It must put them under pressure. 
We have at the marriage, marriage feast thrown for Kalanta's daughter, Pavetta. We have this half man, half headshot man, and he claims Pavetta by the law of surprise, which is not honored, and soldiers start fighting him, and Geralt joins, joins it. So that's for me the inciting attack. Um, then we have protagonists denies the responsibility to respond in an overtly refusing, overtly refusing the call to change. So he expresses some kind of inner darkness. And Kalanthe wants to reward Geralt after saving Pavetta from a spell. He's pressed into or pushed into making a decision and he claims the law of surprise, which ends in Pavetta vomiting and she's pregnant with his child. Then the protagonist's refusal of the call complicates the story and the call comes a second time, but in a different form, usually as a requirement to fight for someone or something else. Um, Geralt sees the Nilfgaardian army approach and he returns to Sintra to bring his daughter to safety. That's like in the present timeline, you might say. Then he is forced to respond. The protagonist lashes out according to his position in the power hierarchy. So Geralt tells Kalanthe that he will return when Ciri is in danger, which means he does not follow her command to stay away from Sintra. Then each protagonist learns what their antagonist's object of desire is. Ciri knows that the Nilfgaardian want to capture her, but she's still not quite sure why. Jennifer knows that the Nilfgaardians want to take over, and Geralt wants to save Ciri from a fate of, or, of death or capture. I think he doesn't even know what the Nilfgaardians would want to refer to. Or maybe that's just mystery left for the viewer. And maybe, then, all the, maybe all the answers will be in, in season two and we'll figure it all out. Yeah, well, we just get eight episodes that are like, I don't know, preview. backstory preview, <laughs> the great cleansing. I don't know. So, okay, more the war has lots of obligatory scenes. And <laughs> <laughs> the protagonist's initial strategy to outmaneuver the antagonist fails. We have this one in the actual story one as well, right? And I thought it's Geralt is thrown into prison. Yennefer can't hold Sodden with the other mages and Ciri runs away and gets captured probably over and over again. Um, <laughs> you just get captured over and over again. <laughs> yeah. And often it, seems, it often seems irrelevant, like the dryads in the forest. I didn't understand the relevance of that. No, me neither. And then after like the mausek shapeshifter, she was... Um, Tied oh, up yeah. again. Oh, I don't yeah. know yeah, who yeah. did that, but Dara saved her. So, and then she ran away in the woods again. Oh, I thought that was Mousak who did. I mean, the fake Mousak who did that, who no, tied her up and left her for dead, or left her to come back. No, but I thought that he they struck him unconscious, and that's why she was able to run away. But we didn't get that. So, which she was just suddenly tied up and captured again, and <laughs> ran back into the woods because we were expecting like. That's the girl in the woods, so she has to be in the woods, like all eight episodes. Because <laughs> she could meet the witcher at any time in the woods. Yeah, she had right. to stay there. As if she knew, I have to stay in here. Like, let me run into the woods. <laughs> so, and then we have the protagonist. He is real, realizing that he must change their approach to attain a measure of victory. And Anago and all is lost moment. So the all is lost moment in a war story is usually cathartic, a moment of acceptance of fate that either compels madness or resignation. That sounds very deep and very high. So um, what do we have? Geralt accepts that the girl in the woods is his destiny because his mother left him in the woods all by himself. 
So, and he doesn't want that fate for his daughter's series. So maybe that could be a motivation. But it would be, but the, but the, the all is lost moment should be within the battle scene, surely, or at least related to it. If it was a war story. Yeah, but he didn't participate in the battle scene, so yeah, that's, that's where true. another problem arises. <laughs> yeah. He was time out, wasn't he? He was time out, yeah. <laughs> then the big battle scene, the core event. This is where the protagonist's gifts are expressed or destroyed. They discover their inner moral code or choose their immoral path. So, and now we are switching. Maybe I should have done that completely for Jennifer, but she is fighting Fringilla at the Battle of Sudden Hill. And she is releasing her gift. Like she is allowed to um, let her chaos, um, to release her chaos. Yeah. Like her mentor wanted her to. Right. But there's no, there's not actually, we're not clear that it's a moral or immoral path. It's just a path. But it's, a, but she's doing the moral, morally right thing because she's there for her mentor. That's like between humans, okay. that's a good thing, I guess. Okay. But, the, but once again, we don't know what the Nifgardians we don't yeah, know yeah. enough about them, so we don't know if they're good or they may be good bad guys. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're um, quite ruthless. We don't like them, but we don't know enough to hate them. No. We, like the 12 and Killing Eve, we knew were bad instinctively because they were contrasted with um, MI6, who were good. Well, mostly. And they were killing, <laughs> and they were killing people. So, yeah. but I don't know what the Nymph Guardians really did. Mm-hmm. They just like they fought back, like they were always the one who was um, pressed down, like the ones who had nothing subjugated, to say, who right, made right? Fun off, mm-hmm. and it's like maybe that's their society story. They are trying to get some power to be accepted, or <laughs> I don't know. We have not found out. The last obligatory scene right. is the pre- you've just made me remember. You've just made me realize that because there's a scene in which Fringilla has Mousak brought to her and he's on his knees and she says how do you like being stripped of your power now and that ties in with what you said that idea I didn't understand it at the time I remember thinking why is she saying that to him so she obviously clearly feels or felt that she and her people like now she's aligned with the Nif guardians that they were subjugated repressed And you said this when we um, analyzed the trailer you thought it's going to be a society story and they're well, that's a huge part of the society story. It's the core va- it's the value, like power right. and subjugation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it should be then the new guardians should have been the protagonists because they are subjugated right. and we want to see the rise of them. Mm-hmm. But we don't have that. Mm-hmm. It's just another genre mixed in there. Last obligatory scene of the board genre is the protagonists are rewarded with at least one level of satisfaction for their sacrifice. They gain honor or dishonor. Um, we don't know what this is going to be for Jennifer because the series ended before we actually find out what's happening after the big mm-hmm. battle scene. So we don't know if she's dead. Probably not. They just wouldn't kill her by no. making her disappear. Maybe it would, would fit. Well, no, we just established it's not Game of Thrones, so they won't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, Parul, I know you wanted to say something about love. Yeah, and it's obviously quite a, I want to say it's a very, it's the least important of all the genres that's there. But what I thought was interesting was to see what role the love genre played in this story. And not, I would say it didn't play a huge role, but it definitely hits a few of the obligatory scenes, um, which is how anyone, any any two lovers meet. So they have the lovers must meet scene, which they do. Um, obviously, it's slightly unconventional because she's running an orgy at the time, Yennefer, in the mayor's house uh, when <laughs> when um, 
Geralt shows up with uh, the, the bard who's severely injured from the djinn. Um, and she tries to seduce him. So the net, one of the other obligatory scenes is one of the lovers denies responsibility to respond to love. Is it love? That's a wider question. But she certainly tries to seduce, Yennefer tries to seduce Gerald in, in the bathtub scene, which is, uh, <laughs> they've both been working out a lot, shall we say. And um, <laughs> that's evident <laughs> in the bathtub. Uh, and, but he refuses to... <laughs> He refuses to to be seduced by her, but really the antagonistic force uh, is is probably, I would say it's Yennefer's desire for power, which is in this case manifested by her desire to have the jinn. And so the protagonist's initial strategy to outmaneuver the antagonistic force, to me, is Geralt's attempt to um, get in between Yennefer and her desire for power, which will kill her, and this leads to them actually getting together. So the next obligatory scenes are a confession of love. And then we have the first kiss. Uh, we have both of those mixed up into one when they then finally sleep together. And it's clear that they really, really care for each other. It's not just a, a one night stand. There's something very powerful between them. Uh, and this is, we don't definitely don't go through all the obligatory scenes for love. It's possible that it might continue. The next obligatory scenes are that the lovers would break up or forced to separate. Uh, and then the all is lost moment where the love, lovers are miserable without one another and certain that they will not reunite. Um, I would say that it probably, yeah, we definitely have that because, um, oh, it doesn't follow that trajectory. Sorry, the next obligatory scene is, the core event, which is the proof of love, where one lover sacrifices to the other without expectation. Uh, you could probably say that that is when Geralt decides to go on the dragon quest, even though he would he hate he really doesn't want to, but he does it because he's worried about Yennefer. He really worries for her safety. And as someone comments to him, "You're in love with Yennefer," um, which he is. And then the the lovers. So this is what's interesting: is they don't. It's not quite in the same order. So they he proves his love to her and then after that she breaks up with him because she thinks that they're connected by magic rather than a real true love and he definitely then has his all is lost moment which because he doesn't really show that much emotion it's just a slightly deeper grunt <laughs> you know, he, he just sort of goes mm. and you know <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> i mean i really did like his voice in this series but in this yeah. episode in a series as a whole, yeah. Apparently, and, apparently, uh, it's taken straight out of the the uh, so games. Games, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, the lovers basically it stops. I would say the lovers' sacrifice was the last, and the all is lost is the last significant love portion that we saw. They definitely don't reunite, um, so there's no satisfaction of whether the love is gained or lost. Now, what this adds to the story is love is a way for. Uh, a hero to show their inner self to redeem themselves through the act of love and if you've noticed Gerald from the start has tried to tell us that he's not your ordinary monster hunter you know from the beginning he talks he talks to Renfrey about how if I were to do what people wanted me to do they would think I really was the monster they say I am whereas in his mind he only does what's necessary for coin and he will not kill humans and he won't just he'll try and go down the path of lesser evil, but he doesn't, he doesn't love doing what he does. He's always tried to distance himself from who people think he is. And love is the one time where we really do see that a little bit more because he pushes himself to do things that he doesn't have to get involved in with the gin and then um, with 
trying to go up the mountain to, to fight the dragon. Is it, is it effective? Is it a heart and moment love story like Killing Eve? No. Like, if it wasn't for them being, both being so hot, I don't know that I would care quite as much. Um, I was trying and, to compliment you by saying you look like Jennifer, and now you just... <laughs> I, said I, I said I agree I'm the hunchback. Um, <laughs> thank you. But, yeah, so I think the love story definitely adds, adds something, but they, it could have been made stronger. I think... Um, there isn't enough of a tension between them in the way that it doesn't have to have it, but tension between two lovers in an action or thriller story or even a war story can really add another layer of storytelling. And this touches upon it. It's kind of nice. It's a nice addition. Is it the biggest love story of all time? No. Is no. it the most innovative love story of all time? No. no. Not Beauty and the Beast. No. No. Well, and if you like look back at the scene when they were fighting the Reavers to protect the dragon, like this cheesy kiss scene, like what was yeah, that yeah, 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 where they like they're like they're like doing their magic while they're kissing and uh, yeah. that was I think that was pretty cheesy. Skip that, yeah, 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 yeah. That was but like it ruined it. <laughs> it did. It ruined the action scene. Yeah, yeah. It made me think of a Mister. It was, it was, kind of, it was a Mister. Mrs. Smith. Yeah. Where they're all shooting around of. each other and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. The beginning and end of Brangelina. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, exactly. Okay. Conventions uh, of the so global it, genre. I'm actually not going to talk about love because I think I've said enough about love. But if you guys want to talk about action. Yeah, it's war. real quick. I'll talk about the action real quick. Hero, uh, who knows, either Geralt or Gen Jennifer or both. The victim Probably Princess Siri, though the populations are getting mauled by the by the war too. But I think Princess Siri is the victim here. Uh, villain, who knows? Once again, we, it's one of the weaknesses of this whole series. We don't know who the hero is, and we don't know who the villain. And that that needs to be clearly defined for the for the uh, viewers and the and and the readers. So it may be the Nifgardians, it may be Fringilla, it may be the leader of the Nifgardians, uh, but it's not really clear what their motivations are, to tell you the truth, so it's hard to tell who the bad guys are. Hero's object of desire? Well, Geralt, he, kill, he likes to kill monsters, and ultimately, in the end, he wants to save Ciri, but it's kind of weak because he doesn't realize that until the last episode and a half. And then Jennifer, she wants to find meaning for her life, but also, in the end, in the last, like, The episode before the last episode, she wants to have, she wants to be pregnant too. So not clear objectives, objects of desire really for an action. The vision of power, well, at least that's good because we know there's just, it's just Geralt or it's just Jennifer against kind of the world of bad guys, the monsters and the Nifgardians and Frangilla and all these other people. And, uh, and then speech and praise of the villain since we don't actually know who the villain is, it's kind of missing. And even if it's one of the people I mentioned, it, there's not a real big speech to tell you the truth, except that the uh, Nifgardians are zealots. The, the strongest, the, the, so uh, the, the closest we come to that is Frangilla uh, at the table of the, the mages. Uh, and she says that if you, if you're not, If you're, if you're not going to take either side, don't stand in our way. And she implies that if they stand in her, her way, she'll destroy them, which she does actually. Yeah. That's the closest we get. Mel War? Well, um, okay. We have one central character with offshoot characters that embody a multitude of that character's personality traits. So I'm pretty bad with this, but because we don't have a central character, we 
No, that's the Witcher because it's the title of the series, but is he really? So I can't say who are the offshoot characters and who's the central one. We have <laughs> like the big canvas. Okay, we have that. We have the big, huge fantasy world of the Witcher. The continent. What a great, what a great name. They call it the continent. I thought it was only called in the books. It's called the world. No, it's called the continent. Yeah. Continent, so, yeah. so can you explain the big canvas? The big canvas is just that a war story should have a big background, a big canvas. Yeah, it should be either the external, like when you look at the landscape, like we have all those different huge areas, like, like Game of Thrones. Yeah. Like Game of Thrones, exactly. Or you have it more internal in the in the characters and themselves so and we have the overwhelming odds like the war itself is a seemingly impossible external conflict and the protagonist confronts overwhelming odds often their team is substantially outnumbered and we have that in episode eight like um there's this fireball attack on sudden hill and the reason for that is to chase the mages away and some, most of them probably run away. And Yennefer, Yennefer and a couple of others are left to fight over 50,000 soldiers by themselves. And which Geralt, is, which yeah. is an awesome scene. The magic at the end is one of the best of any fantasy TV series I've ever seen. I mean, they, 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 they do some really inno- innovative yeah. things. Yeah. And I liked it a lot. It was really great. There's some great scenes in there. And the worms were very disgusting that came out of that book. Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. They were kind of gross. Oh, you know what? Okay. The, you know what the worms inside the kids when they drop the uh, yeah, yeah, fire. Yeah. That remind me of the Game of Thrones with the the uh, the guys, the uh, the religious people that were obsessed and their little fire mm. things and stuff like that. Great. Okay. So, point of view. What's the point of view? What's the point of the series? No. Oh, what's the point <laughs> of view? Uh, you want to take that parole, or you want me to? Um, no, you can go ahead. All right. So we got. Jennifer, Siri, and Geralt are play the focal points of most of it. There's a couple other minor scenes with some other secondary characters, but primarily those are the three. Once again, we've talked about there's no clear hero. They all have uh, high points, except for Siri, really. Um, And uh, so there's no problem with having multiple heroes. Uh, Game of Thrones did it very well, but most of the main characters that ended up in in the last season... They, they were brought up gradually. You know, there was a mature maturity to them. And, 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 they, and the Game of Thrones was really well known for killing off their characters while they're developing their minor characters who became major characters. And they did a really good job with that. And this one, because it was only eight episodes and they kind of introduced everyone at the same time in multiple time streams, it was really confusing. We don't really know who the heroes are. Um, we don't even know who the bad guys are. And so... The point of view is doesn't add to it. It kind of detracts from it because it's just a lot, a lot of unclear stuff going on. Yeah, yep. very well said. Yeah, very well said. Um, the, so, what are the objects of desire? I might take that if yep. side of you want to take it. So, I mean, originally we we just blankly we'd said you know the object of desire for Gerald is to kill monsters and save Siri, and for Yennefer it's to find meaning, um, and for Siri it's probably just to stay alive. Um, but actually, I thought that, I thought I'd mention that there is a progression because the characters, because of the way that we find out more and more about what they actually want as the series progress, the story progresses. For Geralt, the initial object of desire, which is what we find out in the beginning hook, is that he must find the girl in the woods. But that turns into, as we go into the middle build, it turns into actually keep the surprise child, the law of surprise child, safe, which eventually s- turns into find Siri. 
um, the princess. And I thought I'd note that Gerald always wants to save everybody innocent. He's a bit like Jack Reacher. He is the Western, to me, he is a Western character in a fantasy world. He's not, he doesn't belong anywhere. And yet he, and he doesn't like to be tied down. But this, obviously, this object of desire is what changes his entire life. For Yennefer, it starts off her object of desire just being to, to actually, she says this out loud to, I think, to Istrid, I think. She says, I just want to go back and not be me. I want to be strong and beautiful, along those lines. But actually, that switches and t- gets deeper. Once she loses a baby, she decides that actually what she really needs is someone who could truly love her, and she determines that that would be a baby, which is why she goes to find the dragon. And that eventually, in the final uh, episode, turns into her wanting to save um, Sodom, Sodom Hill. Sodom Hill against, yeah, from from the Nith Guardians. And for Siri, her object desire does not not change. It's just she has enemies everywhere, and she just wants to say stay safe. The only thing it morphs into is her increasing desire to find the Witcher. So, what's good about the object desire? I like the evolution of it. I still think that it's not powerful enough for any of them. It's not. It's not a we, I don't know that that desire transferred to me as the viewer, that I was willing them to do it. If go back to Killing Eve, I really wanted both sides in Killing Eve to win. And this one, I'm not sure what I want. Which was amazing with Killing Eve. Like you wanted the bad guy and the good guy to win. Right. There was, there, it wasn't, I mean, I've seen series do like the bad guy where you were on his side the whole time or the good guy is, is most often done. But in, in Killing Eve, it's just so amazing. It was, you wanted both of them. Yeah, and remember, remember that in Killing Eve, the one thing we noticed was that we couldn't tell the difference. We couldn't identify whether the villain was really the villain because actually she got 50% screen time. Villanelle got yeah. half the screen time. So we got her backstory, whereas here, what we've got is Nif, and I'm not suggesting that all stories should have 50% given to the villain, but we certainly don't see enough of the white flame stroke nilf guardians we don't really know what they're about well your hero your hero is gonna only gonna be as good as as your villain is bad and powerful and you have to build your, yes you have to build your villain really up to, make a, to make a great hero and in this That's case really we don't even know who the freaking villain is it, you, they haven't right. they haven't built the villains up um you know what i think uh, our listeners may think we're we have a love affair with killing eve because we bring it up in almost every episode because it was just the most the best one we could have done. As it was a masterwork. It really yeah. it was. It really was a masterwork. Whereas at, this is what's interesting. I, I actually, with both the Umbrella Academy and The Witcher, had pretty high expectations that they would be fantastic. And um, it, I really enjoyed actually analyzing it. It's painful to do it, but analyzing this through the story good really does help you identify the weaknesses. Basically, since Killing Eve was your suggestion, Umbrella Academy was Mel's suggestion, and which was my <laughs> suggestion, you should choose the next series because right. you obviously get the best one. Oh, All God, right. it's going to be the one that I don't want to watch again, but I'm going to have to. Okay, what's the controlling idea? We're on question number seven. All right, for action, this is like life. lives are saved when two people, in this case Jennifer and Gerald, are willing to sacrifice themselves. So that's it's it's easier to say than it actually represents because it's actually very weakly portrayed in the series. Mm-hmm. Mel? Mm-hmm. Um, if we stay with the war genre, it's Anna is gained in war when a soldier, Jennifer, sacrifices for their fellow soldiers regardless of victory or defeat in battle. Mm-hmm. Even that one, it's not completely like on what it should be. Mm-hmm. All right. I mean, I haven't, for, for the love story, it's not necessarily worth doing a controlling idea 
although roughly speaking, it would be along the lines of um, how love redeems us, like sacrificing for love helps us find meaning in our own lives. The, the one comment I want to make is that of the two controlling ideas, um, the action one is still the most applicable to this, which is why I think it's an action story. I think that the war, the core event was, uh, in my opinion, I think it was a bit of a mistake that they went down that route. I think this is actually an action story that has yeah. a mismatched core event. Yeah, they should have kept Geralt in the ending payoff. Yeah. Maybe, like Siri should have yes. been threatened. He should have yes. saved her. That would be what we would have expected. Maybe They yes. should have met like this and not like, yes, exactly. like through Deus Ex Machina, like destiny. Suddenly right. Siri is making 180 degrees and yeah. right at him. Like, no. Yeah, so, I agree. So let's, before we get into the next question we have here, I'd like to talk about what could have happened to make this series more understandable, less confusing, and, and better. What, what advice would we have given to the writer who gave us this script or this story and said, hey, I want to tell it in three different timelines, and it's going to be awesome, and no one's going to be in charge, and none of the bad guys make sense. Uh, what, what would we have told this, uh, this, this author uh, to make it better? So my first, my first piece of advice would be that when someone has lost this lost, as we've estimated that they are, that they determine what their core event should be. And what, because that's normally where people have, like people have a vision of their core event. They have an idea of what, what core message they're trying to get out, which is played out in the core event. Once you've determined that, you can then start to work backwards to start filling in, well, determining your genre and then working back to, you know, the inciting incident, the turning point for each act. And in, and in this case, the core event still could have been the war, but Geralt need to be involved. Yeah, right. So, the, so the core event would be slightly different, wouldn't it? It would be the it would be a point in which, for example, they could have tied up everything. They could have had Yennefer and Geralt either sacrificing for each other or not sacrificing for each other in love, thus completing this love story. They could have really have had the hero at the mercy of the villain. In, in that. And so by, in order to do that, you'd have to identify who the, the villain, villain was and really build up their story. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So it, in that final core event, we would have still a battle between two sides. We would probably know which side we're rooting for, even if it is complex. And we would have the three protagonists playing a role and their, their fate or their future being determined within that. And as we've always said in, which as editors, that your character's action shows us who they are, the choices they make. They would all have faced a crisis point somewhere in the end payoff that really determines who they are and how the story progresses. As it goes, only Yennefer makes that crisis point. So the Witcher, so the, there's a really good scene where Viga Forts, whoever that is, because he just showed up in the last episode, he turns out to be a ninja, and Jennifer teleports him so that he can fight the uh, head of the, the, the Nifgardians, Kahir, uh, you know, that would have been a perfect opportunity for her to send the Witcher, who already knows a great fighter, right. and then, they, yep. then the, he goes through the thing. We don't have this extra character, whoever he is. He goes mm. through the thing. He fights Kahir. He wins or loses. You know, let's surprise us. I don't care how it works. Or maybe he fights Frangilla later because she captured Siri because they wanted Siri yeah. all along. Either way, there's a lot of options there that could have yeah. happened where we could have evolved the Witcher in the end. Also, I think uh, the other thing is the timelines – 
the different timelines are super confusing. And I think it all could have been fixed really simply with starting the series at the end, maybe the seventh episode is actually the first episode. And we see him going to get a series because of the law of surprise and the, the viewers, they're going to give some leeway to the first episode if there's some action. So why is this guy, this white-haired, muscular guy, Legolas, Legolas coming? Yeah, basically, yes. oh, co- yeah. coming to this, demanding this their do- their granddaughter, and he sees the war, the, the the army coming. And why is the witch or why is the queen denying him this? And what is this law of surprise? And then he gets, and in the end, he gets captured. Maybe he fights his way out. Whatever. There's some guy yeah, put some fighting in there. That's the first episode. Then you go to the real first episode, which becomes the second episode, and you, you get some background. You get him going through his life, fighting monsters. Then in episode three, he gets you find out what the law of surprise is when he meets the queen. And it really, that mm. one change right there cleans up a lot of the confusion and mm. actually drags the viewers into the story more than the confusion way that they ended up starting. Yeah, I, I would have I also recommended to the writer to write their story down first chronological, like all of it, because um, the first eight episodes, we know they're just the beginning of it all. So I would have told them, okay, write it all down. Like, how do you think this story will progress? And from there on, okay, then we can like mix a little more, like what can we put in, in the story? What happened before? Is there another way to do it more effectively and not confusing the reader? So like, that should have built up for, from there. And we also would have figured out what's the genre through per rules advice and also doing those 15 course scenes, like make the writer really think about that. Should we apply for a job at Netflix? Yeah, we, we could be pre-screeners. Right. They, maybe oh, they dear. should be listening to this because I think everyone listens to this. Everyone. The whole world. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's, no, so that, no, that's really helpful to do, Randall, yeah. actually, because that's, you're, you know, this... I'm guessing that they obviously thought through what they thought was what was best, but I, I, the story grid just helps, really helps as a template um, to, to to analyze any story. I don't know why I keep saying that. Obviously, if you're listening, you like the story grid, but I just can't. I'm always surprised at how effective it is to help me analyze a story. And number one is, uh, Mr. Author, just determine what your primary genre is. And that would have actually solved a lot of problems because you would have had to identify the 15 core scenes and they were all turned on the, the value and it would have, it would have been a lot, a lot more uh, rewarding for the viewers. I think I would have just do like, keep the Vidya as the main protagonist, give him the screen time, <laughs> let him fight monsters. Well, because you know, they, they maybe, maybe take his shirt what, off a bit more if you want to. You know what, you know what might've happened though, when they were doing this is, it might have it might during the writing of this me too might have happened and halfway through they might have decided that they wanted to make jennifer have a larger role and I, they may, may they maybe overdid it maybe i think we should, we should probably get back on track to our questions <laughs> yeah. okay no 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 <laughs> but I, I, i'm not saying that that to be mean to anyone i'm just thinking that you know that that, that 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 there's a lot more awareness and a lot more uh, uh, women uh, key roles after that, uh, and so so maybe that and then not, not to take it away from them, but maybe they just kind of got overzealous. All right, just, well maybe yeah. okay. I have to add this. Maybe they just yeah. wanted to show the huge role of the Witcher. They wanted to 
incorporate everything that this fantasy world ha has. And we probably know that from fantasy writers that we've coached that they have this huge, amazing world and they want to show everything of it because it's just so amazing. In the amazing. first eight episodes. Yeah, or in the book, like like a lot of exposition at the beginning of the book or throughout the book, they don't have a story at all. They just talk about their world because it's so amazing. And I think maybe they get lost, get lost in this in their world as well. That's why they didn't concentrate on the story that much. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So did the yeah. series, we already talked about this, but real quick, did the series match the trailer? Uh, I think, I, th I think it delivered on the fighting. I think it delivered on the magic, which I mentioned when the last series, uh, the reluctant hero, they had, they had monsters. So as far as that, they delivered, but uh, I think it was, uh, it was uh, kind of uh, the Chronicles of Hercules Uh, if you remember that old series, because he kept every every episode, he's fighting a new monster. So, yep. and then Heracles is always fighting someone new. It was a mixture of that with auspices of trying to be Game of Thrones by involving the the world and the different countries fighting and stuff like that. But it just didn't quite make it. So, did it the trailer deliver? Kind of. I don't agree. I didn't think that the trailer that the series. Um, delivered what the trailer promised. I was, I'm still very disappointed in this series, and they should have stuck to one genre. And but I know I've talked with lots of other um, viewers who only watched like the first two or three episodes. Then they d didn't go on watching because that's the same happened to them. They thought, okay, those are my expectations. They were not met, so I'm watching something else. And it's the same with um, Walking Dead because um, we have in the seventh and eighth episode, it's not action the primary Season. genre anymore because you have it's going to be all political and society. There's society in there, and many people didn't like that about the Walking Dead series, so they didn't mm -hmm. watch that anymore when Negan came into play. They wanted to see them survive, survival, um, fighting zombies. And then we had this huge discussions about um, what political decisions should we do. And it was like entire episodes about that. But they, luckily they have returned from that path. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so um, I was not happy with how it was delivered. So, Peru? Uh, in short, no. The trailer promised action and the film delivered uh, a mishmash of action and war, uh, I, I, it definitely did not meet my expectations. I, I don't think I would have forced myself to watch it had it not been that we were analyzing it. I would have put it down. Um, um, Mel, I thought you had a really good point about how you said that if, even if you've got an established series, oh, you know, yeah. changing the primary genre, I thought that was a very good point. Yeah, Can you just say just a few lines about that? Yeah, well, if you change your primary genre to something completely different, then you have to do that very carefully and not that drastic like that you just mm -hmm. switch around all the time. Because after all, who out there wants to see a story about power shifts and political struggles when they came to the story in the first place, for example, life and death scenes like or fighting monsters? That is more engaging to them. And that's why they want to re watch this series. So you still have to keep, keep that promise when you introduce something else. You can make it more interesting when you introduce another genre, but you shouldn't just switch it around and leave everything out that the viewer came to you in the first place. So, yeah. Yep. Just a few thoughts before we close, because we've, we've had quite a long episode. Um, just on 
why the story didn't work and the observations. Is there anything you want to that you have burning to say, or sh- uh, the rest of it, the, re- the viewers, listeners will have access to in our notes? Yeah, we have basically we have covered everything. Um, why it didn't work in this episode? I all we also have made a list where everything is explained again. You see that in our show notes. But we switch over now to our observations. Yeah, if you have any burning burning comments no, that you no. want to make about observations. No, Randy? I think we skip to, skip to the question. Okay, cool. So what is your what were your favorite scenes, Randall? You know, I, I love the I, I, I mentioned this in the trailer and I was hoping it would happen and, and the, the it happened I waited till the end and they had this incredible attack on the castle with all this magic, which in Game of Thrones they had magic, but it wasn't as uh, overt. And uh, and here they used all their magic to the, their benefit and in the defense and the attack of the castle. And I thought that was really well done, really ingenious uses of magic, innovative spells and things like that. And I was really happy and pleased with the special effects and everything. I thought that was great. Agree. Awesome. Yes. I also liked how the, um, the values of the, of the Witcher, like he stayed true to his values and he would never sell out. I like that about his character. When I have to talk about a scene, then I really liked the episode when they went on this dragon hunt because there was this charming prince who is there to slay the dragon and save the princess who was portrayed by Jennifer and she obviously doesn't need any help. Um, And he was portrayed as this half-witted prince that no one liked because he was just a jerk. (laughs) He should have been slapped with a book. (laughs) So... Yeah, no one, no one liked him. So they like switched this around the typical fairy tale trope of the prince slaying the dragon, and they had the prince having diarrhea. So I like that. <laughs> that was quite funny. Yeah. Um, I agree with you, Randall, that I watched the trailer and expected a big fight scene. And while I did like the final fight scene, it didn't include the Witcher. So yeah. my alternative was the, the the scene where the Witcher saves Yennefer from the Jinn, and he uses his like physical and his actual own principles to save her. And then they find each other and, you know, seal, do the, all deal. Sorts of, seal the deal in their, in their very special way, watched <laughs> by the bard and uh, the other guy. <laughs> so yeah, that, that was it. So Any final comments, guys? I don't have anything. That's, that was a long episode, but I, I, that was, I think that we, we all learned a lot from this and, and I right. hope our listeners did too. And yeah, hopefully and they make the second questions. second season better. Are you yeah. going to watch yeah. them? Watch it? I will. I might watch the first couple of episodes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. Just see how it all like turns out. If they are going to have time shifts again, and or if they just focus on the main storyline now. Yeah, Great. yeah, I think that that really well. All right. Great. Well, that wraps up our episode for today. Uh, we hope you have a better understanding of the five commandments of storytelling and the six core questions that every editor asks. Uh, if you like the show, please leave, please leave us a rating and review and tell your writer and editor friends about us. And for more information, videos, and articles on the StoryGrid, go to storygrid.com or you can go to our website, sgshowrunners.com. If you want to connect to one of our editors directly, links to our web pages are also in the show notes. And next month, we're going to talk about the six core questions of you. 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 Uh, which is available on Netflix. Uh, it was a special request by one of our listeners, and uh, we decided to take them up on it. Um, and uh, thanks for joining us. And please comment, and we'll see you next time. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.